Father, we ask right now that you uh, open up our hearts right now, uh, that you close off the things from the enemy and open our hearts that uh, you could sprinkle in our hearts your word and that it would be sealed in our hearts and would take root in our hearts, Lord. I ask that you would fill each and every one with your presence right now and that we have our spirits opened, that we would be able to perceive what you're doing. And I ask that your people be pulled in close and that your presence would be on each and every one and that we would have the opportunity to see you in a new way today, that your word would truly become the living word in us. We honor you, Lord. Amen. We're in Romans. We've been spending some time in Romans. Uh, I was going to kind of do a little overview, but I'm going to think I'm going to wait for uh, a little bit later to do it. And we're going to pick up at Romans 8. Now, Romans 8 is, a, uh, is based, of course, on what else we've already learned in Romans. But uh, it's, really to, um, it's really to give us a, an understanding of a few things that we uh, may have missed. We're going to pick up at Romans 8 and 9. And it really talks about something that that it's always actually bothered me. You know, it's the one that says that, (laughs) it's the one that says that, that you can be, by how you're controlled and what you do, you can tell who you belong to. That's a kind of a scripture I like to lose for a lot of my Christian life. Because, you know, I take a look and I say, okay, if I belong to the Spirit, I should be just just doing spiritual things. And if I belong to you know the uh, uh, the Spirit of this world, uh, then then I'll be doing things that are wrong. And I would take a look behind me, and I'd have that focus of seeing the stuff that's wrong, uh, you know, the mistakes I've made, the sins I've done in my life. And it's true, you know, a a, a tree by its fruit. But not every fruit on the tree is always perfect. And God doesn't look that way. So I found myself wanting to forget this particular scripture and like to skip over it real quickly. We're going to actually take some time and go through it and talk about what it really means and uh, see if we can come to an understanding of it. And we're going to look at the scripture and see what we can see and see what we can understand and kind of take it apart. Because it's so important that we understand who we are And that we live a life that doesn't feel burdened with guilt of our sins. It's it's, the life we have earlier in Romans. It says there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. None whatsoever. And it's God's full intention that you live that out with no condemnation. That's why he sent his son. It's an important fact. It's not that you're supposed to feel somewhat guilty. And there's something in us that seems to think that that somehow has some power. But as we talked about before, the whole Old Testament was there to show you that the rules and regulations and being bound in by it does not work. Matter of fact, we look in Romans 7, which says that what it actually did is cause us to sin more. And that was its purpose, that we would know that we didn't measure up, that we cannot do it by our own power, our own ability, but can only do it by the power of God. So go ahead and take that. Oh, there we got it right. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the spirit, if the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin. Yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, 
He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Okay, we get that all then? Yep. Okay, what kind of strikes you guys? What, what is, uh, what, uh, you however are controlled not by sinful nature, by the spirit. Do you feel like that all the time? I don't think we do. I, I think we're caught in that particular thing. If you were to take this scripture apart, which we're going a little bit, it says if you're not controlled, you're controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the spirit. If the spirit of God lives in you, you belong to Christ. If not, you do not belong to him. How does that make you feel? You know, often, a lot of times through my life, it made me feel condemned at that. Because I was looking at the scripture in a wrong way. I was actually missing it in two different ways. You know, when, when, when we live by the Spirit, it's how we see things. When we see things, if we're filled with the Spirit of God, we see things through Christ. Now, how does he look at our sins? They don't, look, they don't exist. It's like, it's like if you look through a red filter, everything is red. Because it filters out everything else. And so when we look, if we're looking and living in Christ and live through Christ, we're looking through his lens. He does not see the sin. But what I did is I saw the sin in my life and I focused on that. What happens when you focus on? What's the scripture say when you focus on something? You empower it. And so this caused me a real problem. I didn't get it. And because it scared me so much, because... I desperately wanted to live a life for Christ, but yet there was another thing working in my life that I would end up still sinning. That caused me quite a bit of friction inside because I didn't understand how God works a lot. Now, this sinful nature, I looked at the performance end of it, and I didn't measure up. I remembered Hebrews 2. It says that, Every violation received this just judgment. I remembered that. But that was of the old law, the old Mosaic law. But the spirit, we're not under law. Now, if you look about the spirit uh, of God and the sinful nature, you're talking about two things. And you remember when we were studying uh, Genesis? That's kind of one that I don't know all how many people are around here then. But I laid down the foundation of, of Christianity based on Genesis, uh, right around three. And the, the foundation I laid is the two trees in the garden. You know, if you remember in, in, in Genesis, it talked about that, that God put us in the garden and he put all these trees and he said, don't eat from what? This tree of knowledge of good and evil. But he also said that in that garden, in the center of it, he placed two trees. One was the tree of life. One was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. 
Now, taking that, I'm going to come back to that in a second. Take a look at that, and what do you think about what is the sinful nature, and what is the spirit? Do you guys get that? It's these two trees. We see the fall that Adam went through. And I mentioned to you he was the first gatekeeper, and it was defiled. He allowed sin to come in, and it closed us off from heaven. We were bound, the scripture says, to sin. And, 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 the, and, the, and the cost or the, the uh, uh, fruit of that sin. And Jesus came as a second gatekeeper, purified that, and we have another opportunity. But it's the still same two things exist. You remember what the, the tree of life was, guys? The tree of life, I'm going to have to answer it because you guys don't. Uh, the tree of life was Christ. Okay? And we were able to eat from that tree every single day. And tree of knowledge of good and evil, I said, was the self. The tree of knowledge, see, it's, it's kind of looks pretty fancy by the enemy that, hey, the knowledge of good and evil, the right to make the choices in your life for good or for evil. And when Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve sinned, they didn't sin by eating the bad fruit of the tree. They didn't eat the evil. They didn't go kill somebody. It didn't happen right away. It happened the next generation. With Cain and Abel, but he didn't. Desire for knowledge. Nothing wrong with knowledge. But what was wrong with knowledge? It was self-motivated, self-directed, and not dependent upon God. That is the sinful nature. These two natures are, are the whole structure what the Bible rests on, of understanding. One is based upon our desires and our understanding and our own choices to do things. I.e., I'll pick who I marry, I'll pick where I live, I'll pick what church I go to, I'll pick this, I'll pick that, I'll choose this, I have the right. Because wasn't that the lie? You can be like God. What is like God? Directing your life. The right to direct your own life is the right of God, right? When we said yes to God again, we became servants of the living God, right? Now it says we no longer have rights, it's no longer us to live, but Christ lives within us, okay? A servant or a slave has no rights. You know, we all know that. But how does that play out in our lives? It plays out in our lives that we don't make the choices based in our lives that we've been feeling very, very free to do. We depend upon God. If I don't hear God on something, we ask God and we wait and we, we put what's in our heart and go in that direction. But the seeking and desiring to go in the direction God has for us is what we do. If not, what is it? It says being, remember last week we talked about being controlled by our sinful nature or by the Spirit of God. It is that simple of a choice. The enemy always tries to make choice three, four, five, and six. All these gray areas. But there isn't three, four, five, and six. There's one and two. You either follow him or you follow your own self which, according to scriptures, is darkness and hell and Hades. Two kingdoms. There's only two kingdoms. There's two trees. There's two choices here. Those things go all the way through, and the enemy would like you to not understand that and not believe that. But I'm standing here, too. I'll tell you, that is the honest truth. See, God is looking for a people, an army, 
that is willing to go things past what they understand. You know, we base things on our, when we go on reason and on our choices and when we're living from that tree of knowledge of good and evil, we're basing things based upon what we know and we understand. But guess what? We don't know and understand everything. There are things that God has put ahead of us that we do not understand or haven't seen yet. And so he causes us to depend upon us. That's why when we do the other, we often run into a wall. And that's why the other one, we think we've got it right, and we're doing the same, and we've lived by a certain regulation or rule, and it may be a very godly-looking life, then God turns the corner for us and we run into the wall because he made a turn to the left. This church, and what I want to do here, and what I think God's called us to be, is a people that will truly live by him. And by every living word that comes from the Father's mouth. That's what Jesus said. He didn't go after the rules and regulations and everything else. He says, I'm not going to destroy them. I'm coming to fulfill them. He says, I'm coming out that you would see the Father in me. What's the Father in him? Doing everything that the Father said. Nothing on his own. There were lots of good things to do on your own. I truly believe this. Well, I'll give you a good scripture that always is one of my... Least favorite scriptures in the, in, the, in the Bible. In your name I drove out demons. In your name I healed the sick. In your name I did this. In your name I did that. And he said, get away from me. I never knew you. I don't know about you. That bugs me. That means you had some power. It's not only that you did this stuff. You had power. If demons left and people got healed, you have power. Okay? You had some authority. But he said, get away from me. I never knew you. Why? Wrong tree. Wrong life. He lived a life out based upon doing what they thought was good. What they saw, and they thought it was a good thing to do, and so they took it on to do it. Eve looked at this, and she says, I saw the fruit was pleasing to the eye, good good and tasty to eat, and desirable for gaining knowledge. A lot of us pursue life in that venture. Wrong tree. Wrong fruit. And I guarantee you, the consequence of that fruit is wrong. It's death and damnation. That's a scary thing. So what God is trying to get us to do is an extremely simple thing. Let go of our own direction of our own life and take his. Easy to say, hard to do. So when I went after the saint, I went after it by looking at my performance. And I approached God in the same way, how well I did. If I did well, if my life had less sin in it, then I felt God liked me more. If I blew it that day, I didn't feel so good. I remember the first time God gave me a public prophetic word. It was on the heels of a, a, a bad sin. I can't even remember what it was anymore. But I remember I was devastated. You know, I, I really messed up. And he had me go in the next morning and give this prophetic word. And it was a profound prophetic word, I might add. But I felt like the... Something underneath my shoe. But God said to me after I gave that, this is not about you. It's about me and it's about your obedience. And it's about the forgiveness I have for you. Because it's not about my performance. And that was the beginning to me to understand what this thing's about. When I focus on the wrong, I did what I didn't want to do. I empowered it. Christ in you. It says here, in Christ in you, your body is dead because of sin. The spirit is alive because of righteousness. 
The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. You also give life to a mortal body. What does that mean? It says that our body is dead and that if Christ lives in us, he'll give us life to a mortal body. That's a real, that's a, a, a real hard one, if you ask me. It speaks of the kingdom here and yet to come. It speaks of the tension of that what we live in right now. I'll kind of go into it a whole bunch. But it's basically the idea that, that though we've been redeemed and we're physically going to die, and yet the curse has been removed from our spirit, but yet there's a pull from both ways. It has not fully realized the things that are coming. I really don't know what to do with that scripture. It, it's one I might go, hmm. But I do know this. That the scripture says the next thing is, therefore we have an obligation not to live in the sinful nature, but by the spirit. If we live according to our sinful nature, we will die. I.e., if you're making your own direction, making your own choices, going where you want to go and doing what you want to do, I don't care how holy it is. I don't care how, how, how much success you have. I don't care if you have a church of 10,000 people. You're in trouble. Because it's not about that. You know, people build things upon their charismatic personalities and not build upon God. One day it will be shaken and the things that are not of him will be shaken away, it says. And God is a merciful God. And if you're lucky... Get shaken away while you're alive, <laughs> not later, you know. And a lot of people have experienced that thing. Things fall down that they don't go the way they want. But it's because they're basing things upon sinful nature. I can't drive this hard enough. Sinful nature is the right for you by your own self-desire to do what you want to do. That is the sinful nature. If I can carve it down to one thing, that's exactly what it is. The right to make your own choices in your life. Self-reliant. Uh, the whole self thing. Remember the fall? That was the first consequence of the fall. Inter- introspection. Remember they said, ah, I'm naked. That was the first part of the fall. They took a look at what they were and they turned inward rather than upward. Before then they looked at God and they got their image from God. But after the fall they looked inward and got their image based upon their performance. That is how the self thing works. I'm going to put a little chart up here in a, in a few minutes. That, that, that talks about if a slave and a son and the difference. Because the purpose of these scriptures are to take you to sonship. It's not only to make you feel free from sin and, and, and cause you to live a life that's full of joy, because that's what we're supposed to have, but it's to bring you into sonship. You can't be a son if you don't know who you are. You have the prodigal son, and you see that. What? Oh, but even Paul um, seemed to have had a challenge with this because... Just remembering the scripture that we read last week or two weeks ago, he said, Oh, wretched man that I am, that that I want to do, I do not do. Mm-hmm. But even he that he says this idea is being, uh, being caught in there. And then the rest of it, he says, Who shall save me from this? Christ Jesus. And that is that ability to look through the eyes of Christ at what you do rather than the eyes of your performance. It's the ability to look through by the part of relationship rather than what you do. So, it says, by the Spirit we do what? Put to death the misdeeds of the body, and you will live. Led by the Spirit are sons of God. Do not 
uh, did not receive a spirit that makes you slave again to fear. You receive the spirit of sonship. How do we make that happen? It's a hard question. How do we get there? I mean, we can hear this with our mind. How about, about your guys' experience? How do you get there? Do you guys think about it? Go ahead. Stop. Huh? Worship? Yeah, that's a good way. That's a good way to get you in the right place. What else? How, how, how would you walk that out? To the sonship, you do not receive uh, a spirit that makes you slave again to fear, but one of sonship. How do you make that choice? How, how do you do that? What does that look like? What's the practical outlay of that in your life? Huh? Surrender. Yeah, but that's very true. But if you're set free, and if we read earlier in Romans, it says that we have been buried with Christ, and it's no longer us live, but Christ lives within us. And dead people are not under the law, it says, doesn't it? It says the law is only for those that are, that are alive. And we're not alive, we're dead, we're going to do it. And he uses the illustration of marriage member. The woman's bound as long as she's married to the man, but at the time one of them dies, she's free because it's not under that con- that uh, uh, covenant anymore. And we've died and we're not under that covenant anymore, huh? Well, what are you going to be a smart hockey? Huh? You're in slapping range, huh? <laughs> you got to wait until I'm farther away. <laughs> yeah, thank you, huh? <laughs> I didn't hear you. Yeah, keeping your eyes on Jesus. Yeah. Keeping your eyes on Jesus. And not looking at the, focus on what you've done wrong, but focusing it on Him. Not, you take a look and then, oh God, help me when you make a mistake, forgive me, and we move on from that. Because we aren't to be held by fear. I mean, don't we live in fear of messing up? I do. Oftentimes I'm stuck in that thing, I'm afraid if I, I blow it in some type of sin or something, you know, with my mind or whatever else like that. And if I worry about that, I'm focused on it. If I focus on that, I empower that, I empower that I'm going to do that. So again, we have, just as she was saying, you put your eyes on Christ, and you have a hope. See, God removed every sin and put you as dead, so you would not be bound by if you make a mistake or sin. That is excellent. Now, how many of you walk around saying, I'm a son? Do you not believe the work that Jesus did on the cross? Because that's what you're saying. You're saying, I don't believe that that work was a good work. I don't believe that that blood was strong enough. I don't believe he paid the price. I'm telling you that side, just so you can play with your own mind a little bit. And get you to think the other way. Because that's what you have to do. Because something in us wants to say, I can't say I'm a son. That false humility in that. And that's false humility, by the way. It's just as bad as super pride. It's the same, same sin. This false humility, you've got to play a game against yourself sometimes. What do you mean? Like, like, like when you have sin in your life and, uh, uh, and you think, oh, that sin's so bad. You have to play that other record that says, oh, that sin I have is stronger than the blood of Christ? The sin I have is more power than the blood of him on the cross? Well, that's a lie from hell, and you know it. So you have to play the game with yourself, to reprogram yourself. God, you know, repentance means change the way you think. That's what it means. So when you repent, just begin to put some, something else in there to change, because you have to. We are sons. Can you say it real loud for me, guys? Is that like you meant it? Louder. Yeah, we are sons. That's a powerful thing. I loved what he said. What was your name again now? Abraham. Abraham said. Of course it would be Abraham. <laughs> the man of faith. Okay, so we are sons. And, and it's that, that truth that we have to live by. 
We have to choose to believe them, believe the inheritance we have rather than the, the, uh, uh, the track record we've walked in. Because we aren't slaves, we are sons. And that's what it says, don't be a slave again, slave to fear, fear of failing and rejection and being sold off. Because we have someone that says he'll never leave us. And he says there is nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is later on in this chapter. We'll go into that more later. There is nothing. And that's why it's developed that way. Okay. I think we will see where we got. I'm going to. What messes us up is the tutor we had. The tutor we had for a very long time, and God put him in there, was the, was the, uh, the old covenant. It was a tutor to keep us, to show us his ways and show us we didn't measure up. But it's meant to be left like a garment. It's meant to be left. And he says the promise is going to write his laws upon our heart. It's now a love affair out of relationship, out of sonship, that we have the power to live the same now. It's about seeing yourself through the eyes of God, which is without sin. Of course, there's sin in life. Don't get me wrong. I understand we're going to sin till the day we die. But it's choosing not to see it. God has a good memory. And he only looks at the good and remembers the good. So we have to transfer from the old nature, which is powerless, hopeless, and uh, uh, Moses' intercession. We're transferred to the, to the new, which is Christ. All power, hope, and Christ is, intercedes for us, the scriptures say. See, it's, it's not only the sonships and everything else, but we have him who died on the cross for us, continually in intercession for us before the Father. Again, the prayers of the righteous avail them, but there's no more, nobody more righteous than Christ. And if that was on a plane, then that would be the farthest end of it. So you can expect that your record before the Father is perfect. Because when he looks at your record, he sees his son's record, not yours. That's the inheritance that he was speaking about. That's what Abraham was talking about here. It's the inheritance that comes from Abraham, the biblical Abraham, down the line, that comes by faith and by, by choice of God. If you, when we go through that a little bit later, you're going to find over and over again, it wasn't by their performance. I mean, like Jacob was a scoundrel, if you ask me, but not in God's eyes. You know, if you take a look at what he did, he was a scoundrel. But it was by God's choice that he had an inheritance that was part of our family inheritance as well. So that takes us to that first one. I'm not going to go to the next go. It'll take too long to develop the next one. But I am going to throw up this last last slide here because I, I think it's something we need to look at. A slave. Can you see that? That's not very close. A slave runs from pain. A son embraces it. A, a, a slave seeks and avoids problems. A son sees them as opportunities. This is from Arthur Burke, by the way. I love his stuff. Uh, a slave sees the cost of failure. A son sees the benefit of failure. How do you do that? It's a learning opportunity. Okay, uh, the perspective on work. A slave obeys orders and a son solves problems. A slave looks at the right way to do a job. A son looks for a better way to do a job. A slave considers consequences 
and a son sees possibilities. In the regard for the use of resource, a slave sees cost and a son sees value. A slave wants to receive from those who have and a son wants to know how they got there. A slave cares for himself and a son understands social responsibility. The nature of... What is that? Of something relationships. The nature of their relationships, yes. A slave talks about self and a son talks about his team. A slave expects more from others than from self and a son personally raises the bar. A slave extends honor upwards and a son extends honor downward. The view of the future. A slave looks for immediate gain, but a son sows into the future. A slave seeks comfort, but a son seeks fulfillment. A slave wants to be like now, and a son will let history be his judge. The exercise of power. A son is disloyal when he succeeds, but a I mean, I'm sorry, a slave is disloyal when he succeeds, but a son initiates sharing success. A slave gives favors, but a son shows favor. A slave seeks supernatural self, and a son uses supernatural, uses the supernatural for others. If you look at that, you're going to find yourself on the slave sometimes and on the son sometimes. And it, again, if you look at that, and I don't measure up, you've missed to understand what we're talking about. Look at the encouragement of where you want to go. Because that's what it says up there. It looks for the future. It looks, looks for the other and how to help others. The attitude, it's, it's a, if you look through those and read those, and I would, Plumb Line Ministries, they have so much free stuff on there. It's a great ministry. Take a look on that. Uh, find that up there on Sunship. It's one of the free downloads they have. They have tons of stuff for downloads. But, it talks of a different attitude of the heart. And it's that shift from really sonship to being a slave. You see the world on the slave. Because the world is a slave to sin. They're slave to their performance. They're slave to, to the consequences of the fall. The consequences of the fall was that enter looking at oneself and seeing how one measures up. Rather than looking forward thinking. Uh-huh. I was just going to say what, what God was kind of showing me when I was reading through that, too. It's like our attitude. A slave, we know we own nothing. But as heirs of the king, you know, our attitude, we own it all. We own it all. So we can operate in that other uh, economy. We can operate in the kingdom economy because it's our kingdom. It's not, we're heirs to the king. So. And that translates in a lot of things, too. It's a reality that becomes, you know. The Lord spoke things into being. In the, in the matter of speaking out in the word, reality became. We are co-creators with him. If we're living a thing, a way of thinking as a slave, not only are we caught in our sin and, and stuck by the, the, the world's perspective and the world's rule, but we never can become who we're really called to be. And we can't read not only in the things of the spirit realm, but the things of the financial realm as well. Because if, if we are co-heirs with him, 
the one who owns everything. And it's very clear he owns everything on earth. That Then we walk in a different light and a different understanding and we can be and see and receive differently. Because we'll receive his sons. Because we have a father that's good that wants to give to you all he can give to you without spoiling you. That's how, that's who we serve. He's just extremely generous. So this reality that we have to come is a new reality. And that's why I'm taking, you know, I, Hebrews is, I mean, Romans is, is a hard book to go through because it's, it, it's so packed with things that's kind of slow, in a sense, boring. But it's, it is the foundational stuff that we need to be able to become who we're called to be. If we don't get this book passed here to our heart, we, we will not ever be sons. We have to be sons. We're called to be sons. He paid his whole life that we be sons. Remember, that's his, I, I, I've talked to you before about that's God's intention from the very beginning. He was not surprised when man fell. He actually allowed things to be set up in a way that we would not have what it takes to make it and we'd fall. That he would send his son so we'd know our need for him and have the relationship with him. That his son would be in us, that we could rule and reign with him one day. It's not an accident. The fall was not, oh my gosh, look at these people, they blew it. It's, oh, I know they're going to do it. Because it says from the beginning of creation, this was all foreknown. Your destiny was known. His son's death and resurrection was known. It was a part of the original intention. So at that great cost he paid, do you not think it's a wise thing to be, is receive the benefit of that, the inheritance of that? That's what we have to. So, Father, we ask right now that, again, that, that you would... Uh, Put over each and every person in this room a protection that the enemy would not be able to steal this. But instead, that would come with greater understanding than is even spoken. With greater wisdom, the ones that come from you directly. That your breath would blow in on each and every soul. That would conform each and every person here, including me, to your image. That we would be fruitful as sons of the living Father. Bless each and every person, Lord. Uh, bless each and every person here. And one last little blessing I want to read is uh, number 624. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. So I bless you guys.